Welcome to This Week in Location-Based Marketing, the most trusted podcast dedicated to the new business of location. It's time for This Week in Location-Based Marketing. This is episode number 161, and we're doing this live Christmas Eve, December 24th, 2013. My name is Rob Woodbridge from Untether.tv, located in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, and barely with me, like minutes with power, right? Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Asif Khan from the Location-Based Marketing Association. Honestly, didn't think this was going to happen this week. Uh, I thought this was going to be our first miss ever for delivering this show. No but way. Here we are, uh, ice storm and all. Finally got some power back. We were we were basically, um, you know, without power for like fifty hours. Um, so here we are. This will teach us. This will teach us to deviate from our scheduled time. Won't it, deceive? Yes. Like acts of God, like this destroy derail everybody but on friday if, if i had been in town on friday we would have been able to do it we would have put this to bed you would have received this uh, on, yeah i know on monday instead of boxing day right but you had an you, i mean you got you got to go on a nice trip with your family it was good i did i got to spend time with santa claus up in north pole new york which is just outside of lake placid in a little town called wilmington it's also where uh whiteface mountain is but it's just on the south side of uh you know on, on the base of the mountain uh, but there's this place called North Pole, New York. Santa Claus lives there four months out of the year. Awesome. Yes, and we saw him. True story. Absolutely true story. <laughs> well, I am so happy that we could do this because, you know, we brag about the fact that we've done this. This is 161 consecutive weeks, and, and the, the the streak was in jeopardy, and but we will continue. Now, I think we've got about, um, what's that, 3,300 more to reach Cal Ripken? Something like that. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, I know. We'll it's be dead, long, we'll be dead long, long before that happens. But you know, Rob, I mean, the good thing is, is you know, we still got most of our lives ahead of us. <laughs> exactly. Well, at least <laughs> half. At least, at least half. half. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is a jam show. Uh, you have some events that are coming up in the new year. Um, uh, just a, a few uh, scheduling notes to those of you who are listening or watching is that our next episode, which we will uh, record this coming weekend, will actually be our prediction show. No news stories, no new stuff. We're just going to be talking about the things that, that we loved of 2013 and the things that we think we'll see in, in 2014. Actually, maybe do a recap, a, a review of how we did last year. I'm always frightened to do that. I have to watch that show. <laughs> and then we'll be back to our regular schedule of programming in the new year uh, for, for this podcast. That will be episode number 163. So you have some events, though, that are coming up in New York and Atlanta. Let's talk about those. We do, yeah. Uh, there's actually three three events. Really uh, just want to mention uh, the January schedule here because things kind of get back uh, right after the holidays. So uh, if you're in Amsterdam, the uh, Amsterdam ch chapter is hosting a sort of New Year's gathering. Uh, it's on Monday the 13th, so um, that information and all the other uh, events I'm about to talk about is all on our website, uh, thelbma.com forward slash events. On the 15th, um, in New York, the, the chapter, New York chapter is hosting a retail roundtable event. Uh, I know uh, Gary Schwartz will be there, uh, Jonathan Treber from uh, RevTrax uh, on the panel as well. Uh, so a good discussion there. Uh, and this is focused on retail, and, and sort of the significance of that is, is it's uh, um, uh, National Retail Federation's uh, big show is also happening that week. So all the everybody in the world of retail will be in New York anyways that week. So um, so come out on the evening of the 15th. Uh, and that one of the cool things about that is it's being hosted at the Associated Press head office. So if you just want to see that building, which is really cool, come for that reason, uh, if no other, other than here for some great retail discussion. Worth it. Worth it. Definitely worth it. Uh, and then the last thing on the 29th, uh, so a couple weeks later on the Wednesday, uh, the Atlanta chapter is hosting an event. Uh, and this is a um, kind of fireside chat with um, Jonathan Stevens from JetBlue uh, Airlines, as well as Lisa West from Intercontinental Hotels. So the two of them together uh, having a chat about sort of all things mobile and location. So it should be fun. Right. That's only in January. That's just January. I know. Yeah. I can't wait till we actually start to talk about uh, your panel uh, with Damien at South by Southwest and what's going on yeah. around. Uh, yeah. Woo. Yeah. And just a quick heads up for 
Uh, we haven't officially announced it yet, but because uh, it's not, but not too far ahead of that. So, the uh, the week of January or sorry, February the third, we will be launching a new chapter in Sydney, Australia. I'll be over there for that. And um, so, if you're if you happen to be listening to the show and you're in in Australia, just pencil in some time for the LBMA that week, and uh, we'll we'll love to connect with you. That is awesome. Maybe we should do a live uh, broadcast together in Australia. What do you think? I think that would be good, Rob. I think it's their summer, yeah. isn't Let's it? Let's right pull now? that off. Yeah. Good. I'm sure there's there's got to be closer places we can do this. Somewhere between <laughs> Ottawa and Toronto. That is jam-packed. Well, uh, so if you can make it to Australia, if you can make it to New York, Atlanta, or Amsterdam, man. All those yeah, by the way, I'm not going to all those things. Okay, yeah. Just, just, just be, be clear. Yeah. I'll be in New York, and I'll be in Australia. I'm not I, I'm not at the other two. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're the great cities. All right. Well, um, this show we've uh, we've got our usual stuff. We got seven stories uh, this week, and uh, a, a few anecdotes in between those. We got our mobile minute with Chuck Martin, who's going to be talking about Applebee's, which is related to our sixth story, which is around uh, a patent that Apple filed. We've got our product of the week, which is something that Google released or Google announced or Google pushed out or it's been there forever, but we've just discovered it, the Google Location History Browser. Uh, and of course, we've got our special guest of the week, which is Lou Minster, who is the VP Product Dev at Homestep. We met up with him live when we actually were at Motive East and uh, got to record a, a little interview with him. And we'll have that coming at you as well. And of course, our resource of the week. But let's start with Chuck Martin discussing Applebee's and tablet ordering from the table. Take it away, Chuck. Welcome back to another Mobile Minute. First, it was Starbucks with Square. Now, Applebee's wants you to order and pay from your table. Yes, tablets are moving to the table. Um, Applebee's uh, announced recently that they're going to get 100,000 tables with tablets. And Applebee, of course, has a, uh, it's the, the world's largest casual dining chain. It's got 2,000 locations in 49 states and 59 countries. So. Um, here's the issue. There's going to be a tablet on the table, and the the, the issues are, are multiple. It, are people going to pay that way? That, that's one thing. And are people going to interact with the terminal instead of with each other? And that's one issue. And then another issue is, do they really want to interact with a device technology provided by the organization or a device provided by themselves, their, their own smartphone or their own tablet? A good example of this Early on was stop and shop. Uh, years ago, they they gave uh, basically uh, scanner guns to people who walked to the stores. This is before mobile uh, uh, smartphone technology, and people could scan products. Well, they then uh, recently uh, expanded that to 400 stores uh, nationwide in the U.S. And people are doing this with their with their iPhone and Android apps, and they're scanning products, and they're moving a billion dollars worth of revenue through that. So it, it, it's not like uh, this is not a big deal. And I talked to John Karen, who's the VP of of marketing at Catalina, and, and he was saying basically the greater the exposure that the people have to this technology, the higher the comfort level is going to be. And there's a really that's a really good argument that the more of these Applebee kinds of things and Stop and Shop kinds of things happen, more people are going to see that. Gee, what can I do with that? Oh, I didn't realize I could do that. So they're basically learning from each other. You know, this kind of reminds me of the old uh, jukeboxes. Remember those in the local 50s diners? Remember that? Yes. Put, yeah. uh, no, I don't. <laughs> no, exactly. Well, <laughs> the newer diners that used to do this, right? But will this last or will, will this move to the smartphones? Uh, well, we don't we don't know. That's that's a really great question, and it, it's only time that's going to tell whether it's the technology provided by the restaurant or the the organization or technology that the consumer comes in with. Anything that someone in a retail environment comes up with, somebody else is going to figure out how to move that to a smartphone so that it basically it, it's in the palm of the consumer all the time. Chuck Martin, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't subscribed, you should do so. You're going to get at least 15 of those per month, probably around 20 of them per month. Little nuggets like that, mostly statistics and data. You can do that at untether.tv, or you can just listen to one of them every week here on This Week in Location-Based Marketing. Thanks, Chuck, for being a part of that and for doing this every week with me. What do you say? Jump into our product of the week? Let's do it. So we always knew that these companies like Apple and Google were tracking us wherever we went. You know, there was a kerfuffle about a year ago around what Apple was doing with the location data, storing it in an unhashed and unencrypted file on the device. And uh, Google, I don't know if, the, I don't think this is new. 
I just think that people have discovered it. It's Google's location history browser, and it is crazy full of information. If you have actually enabled location services in Google, it literally has your history, your history of where you have been displayed on this great big map and and it, and by day by month by year you can see how far you go and i i mean i only travel between this much space in the in the map with a couple of blurps right big long blurps but mm -hmm. it is incredible this treasure trove of data that you will find about yourself and i i'm i think that we agreed to this but it's kind of stunning to see it in in a map form wouldn't you say yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, it's pretty so cool. Yes, you, you've uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, so so basically, this this is the data that um, you know when when you get your Android device and and uh, you're doing that that initial setup, it asks you, um, are you willing to transmit your location data back to uh, to Google? Uh, so if you said yes on that, that is the data that's being uh, being tracked here. Um, yes, and and, and so um, yeah, I, I think you know if you're if you're okay with that, uh, this is a pretty cool way to. To kind of you know, uh, look at that history. Look, I, I mean, we talked about this on on the Modev show about you know when I when we were talking about Foursquare, and I said you know the only real value I get out of that uh, platform for me now is really looking at the history of where I've been and what I've done and all of that. So I think this is pretty neat. I mean, my my only thing is is you know you know why isn't Santa carrying uh, an Android device? I mean, <laughs> who who needs NORAD right when you got this? Well, didn't uh, yeah NORAD uh, teamed up with Bing? Like you know it used to be Google and and uh, and NORAD for the Santa tracker. Now they went off and and did it with Bing. I guess they bid higher. But uh, you're right, all of this stuff. Santa doesn't need radar. We don't need radar anymore. And I use the Moves app. I, yeah. you know, uh, Heyday now is one of my favorite applications Love of all that. time. Um, so it tracks where I've been. It, it, you know, key key places where I stop, and uh, that kind of reminds me. But it's always that thing. Like you know, if you ever need an alibi, we talked about this at the Motiv East. Here it is. Google comes out a week later and gives you your alibi. Um, just don't don't get caught where you shouldn't be caught. Yeah, you know. You, None of this data gets erased, and that's one of the big yeah. things that so we learned. So not only, not only is Santa watching you, yes. Google's watching you. Google's right. watching you, yes, yeah. and the entire world is watching you at some point as well. So just, uh, just be careful about how you use this location stuff. So the Google Location History Browser, you can just, just Google that. You will find it, and you will find your data. And I looked at mine, as I said. It doesn't, it's not as complete because sometimes I don't log in to an experience, a Google experience while I'm on the right. road. I don't use Google Maps anymore. I use the native Maps app. So, um, you know, it's taking less and less. It knows less and less about me. So there you go, our product of the week. Excellent. Or, our, right. con or our controversy of the week. I'm not sure. <laughs> All right, jumping into the stories, man. You got the first one. Yes. So uh, I think my favorite airline as far as innovation overall is concerned is KLM. And uh, so here they are yet again. Uh, launching a, a new service called Local Eyes, which is a Twitter-based uh, service. Effectively, what they've done is is they've gone and they've asked employees of KLM to, you know, get on on board with Twitter and create a um, you know sort of a, a treasure treasure trove of information about a particular destination uh, that KLM flies to. So you know the the, the one that they gave is, is Amsterdam. Obviously, they're based there. Uh, and so they had this girl named Simonette uh, who works for them, and you know, so she's going in there. She's tweeting about food and local restaurants and tips and this, that, and the other thing. So it's kind of like all the stuff you would get on TripAdvisor, but you know, brought to you by KLM employees. Yeah. Um, you know, I think this is pretty good. Um, and and you know, like I said, this is just one in a slew of crazy things that KLM does as an airline. So, you know, collectively, it's uh, uh, you know, they're doing they're doing great work. Well, and they're obviously accumulating this data, this information, because uh, you know a new employee does it every week, and I think it, it, it's interesting. It's uh, they do it from their hometown, and I think that that's probably the best way to to do this. Um, certainly, from the people who live there, and you're going to get a great perspective. You can find more information about those guys at localeyes.klm.com. That's localeyes e y e s .klm.com. What is it about these guys that makes them so innovative? Like compared to all the other airlines like this, I don't. Uh, you know, aren't, why aren't people watching what they're doing? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I, certainly, the other airlines are watching. They just, you know, they're just bigger risk takers over here. I mean, like I, I think I mentioned to you, like I was doing some some work uh, with uh, with American Airlines recently, 
And, uh, you know, I raise some of these things with them. And it's not that they don't know that K- what KLM is doing or, or not aware of these, these initiatives. It's just they're not willing to take some of these risks. Uh, you know, like uh, KLM did social seating, if you remember that. We talked about that, you yep. know, maybe a, a year and a half ago. Yep. And that, that that's pretty interesting in itself because, you know, this is the idea that, you know, you book your flight on KLM, and when you when you when you book that flight, you can also choose to say uh, to associate your booking with your LinkedIn profile, and then people who book after you can look and say, well, you know, Rob's going to be sitting here, and he's got a pretty interesting profile that matches up nicely with what I do for a living. Maybe it'd be worthwhile me booking the seat next to him so we can have a great conversation. I mean, there's risk to that. That could be. That, there's a lot of downside potential to that too, right? People could get really annoyed. Um, but KLM's willing to go there, and a lot of other airlines aren't. Yeah, I like sitting with an empty seat next to me. So that yeah, would I that would too. piss me off, right? Yeah. It's like no, yeah. no. Yeah, I'm gonna be you know uh, having two separate profiles on my LinkedIn stuff. But yeah. y- but you know what, Rob? Soon. So, so here's the thing. Soon we're gonna be able, like they're they're about to allow, allow phone calls and all that on oh, flights. Yeah, it's right? great. So you know I can see the day, Rob, where you and I are on the same plane. Sitting in the same row, and we're we're broadcasting live from, from an airplane, airplane. live from, our, from KLM you flight. Want to do it. I, you know what? Wherever we can do it together, I just I, I had a great time last week doing it, and it was. Um, yeah, I did too. So I think that yeah, we'll do it from an airplane. But you know, it just shows you the power. Like these guys are using Twitter for good, right? So they're making it interesting, and it's a conversation, and it's getting their employees engaged with this. It probably creates a deeper bond with the employee and the employer, as well as uh, people who might look at KLM, uh, you know, as opposed to any of the airlines. But uh, you know, this week has also shown us very quickly. You know the downfalls of this yeah. open platform called Twitter, and especially with this poor woman, this PR woman, who you know. 12 hours, you know, took off for South Africa from London with a flippant, ridiculous, racist comment on Twitter. And she landed 12 hours later um, to find out that her world has been destroyed and she's lost her job and she's lost all her friends and her family's being and she's getting death threats and, and, and she's being covered in all the news. And she's a meme now because, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's so crazy. it just shows you that, you know, companies are doing things for the good and there actually is trust. In their employees to do the right thing. So KLM. There you go. Localize.klm.com. All right. Our second story, you know, it was only a matter of time, I think. You know, there's always been this blend, right? We've seen uh, Ingress from App or from Google who, who yep. is trying to blend real life into uh, digital games, into uh, software games. And uh, this, comp- this game, Borderlands 2, uh, has now they've always I think the first two versions of this have always had um, QR codes or ways of interacting with the game embedded within the game. So QR codes is their ch- preference. But now they have QR codes that is allows you to collect a currency, a virtual currency. Uh, but you have to go download this application, scan the QR code from the game, so the QR codes spread out through the game, and it gives you uh, money basically virtual currency yep. inside of the game that you can then buy new weapons or you can upgrade your guy or upgrade your gal or upgrade whatever it is inside of the game. Uh, and I think that this is a wonderful strategy to get people to download the games because when I buy a game and say it's network, that's fine. You can tell me how often I'm in and out of the game and that kind of stuff. But really that application becomes the gateway to be yes. able, able to communicate more effectively with that user. And so the, the app is called Loot the World app, and it's on iOS and Android, and it ties into this game. And you can just imagine how this is going to build up. And if uh, people are fanatics about it, they're going to use it to to scan QR codes in the game and get money in for upgrades. I, this is a cool yeah, strategy. I, I like it. I, I like the idea of, you know, the simplicity of it. You know, any QR code, any barcode, whatever, you yep. know, find it anywhere, scan it, and you and you can, you can get what you need to progress in the game. Yep. You know, for me, it reminded me of the sort of Rovi uh, the Angry Birds McDonald's yeah. thing, uh, you know, that whole Magic Places idea. And we're going to see more of this, you know, the, sort of the bridging between sort of the gaming world yes, and the physical bricks and mortar world. And, you know, one leveraging the other to sort of advance, you know, both their causes, right? Well, this is um, a great co-marketing opportunity, isn't it? Love it. Yeah. I, I think this is this is fantastic. Um, so, you know, very interesting. Um, Gearbox Software is the company who makes yeah. this thing. So, uh, you know, kudos to them for uh, for pulling that off. 
Do you think that that we are going to see that? So do you think Gearbox will do something with Borderlands and say Target or Borderlands and Walmart or something I think, like that? I think that's where it should go, right? I mean, I I think you know if you can get a retailer or or a big brand like that to underwrite some of the cost of this thing, why not, right? Uh, and then it becomes you know it, I mean the nice thing now is is that it's open to any any yeah. QR code, any any barcode anywhere. But you know what if it was only Target, yeah. you know, uh, codes, right? Um, that that could be interesting too, right? So. Uh, and especially if, if you know, from a revenue perspective, in terms of how you generate revenue for the, for this game, uh, you know, I think that's interesting for for a company like Gearbox to look at. So, oh, it's, uh, I mean, certainly, you know, with the work we, you know, when we, you know, Rovio, we do work with Rovio, and, and and that whole experience, you know, and what we, the feedback we've heard from them on that is is absolutely, you know, that you know, just in-game advertising is not enough. We need no. to find other revenue streams. So, you know. You know, maybe Gearbox is looking at that too. I'd be happy to chat with them about that. So, well, it's so measurable, right? So, what Gearbox is doing, and you can understand that the pressure on console gaming and the pressure on PC gaming is that, you know, what what the app stores have done has democratized this, has destroyed pricing for software, right? Is that you used to pay sixty or sixty-five dollars, now you balk at a dollar, right? Everybody understands that freemium is this model that has been adapted very, very efficiently, very quickly and effectively in the mobile world. And now all of a sudden you're looking at a $65 or an $80 game and you're like, nah, you know what? Yeah. Like I was I was getting some DS games for my kids and I got to do this a little quiet because yeah, they're yeah. upstairs. But, and, you know, I'm looking at like 45 bucks. Are you kidding? Are you kidding me? Like they find better joy in a dollar or a free game. So, um there must be so much downward pressure on these guys to be able to do this. So they have to be able to look at this and say, look, there's a cliff coming where people aren't going to buy this stuff from us at this price anymore. So we have to find a way to supplement our income so that when that race to zero actually happens and I cannot charge for the game, the game is table stakes. And then what happens inside the game is where you have to monetize. This kind of thing really gets me excited about it because the opportunities are endless. These guys could probably generate more revenue as a result of doing something like this than doing it the old school way, which is charging a software license. So For sure. Cool. Borderlands 2, QR codes, Loot the World app. All right, so our third story uh, is about a uh, mashup here between Capital One, uh, you know, the, the financial company, and Pushpoint Mobile that we've uh, featured on here before, uh, Greg from Pushpoint and, and his, his team over there. So basically what they've done is, is they've kind of taken Capital One's platform, which is called SparkPay, which is a mobile payment point of sale solution for small medium businesses, uh, and tied that together with something called OfferHub, which is Pushpoint's uh, geo-targeted offer platform, and kind of tied those two things together. So you basically enabling small business owners to facilitate payments transactions, but at the same time, you know, deliver deals and offers and coupons all connected to that, all in a single kind of platform. So, um, I you know, you know, nothing really crazy innovative here. But the sort of the you know the common sense of of, of you know uniting payments and 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 deals and platform you know and t- taking these two platforms and putting them together makes a lot of sense to me, and I think you know also the fact that you know Capital One um, you know being a major major uh, you know processor in this in this context um, you know from from a push point perspective I think this is a great uh, a great partnership. Certainly, yeah, leveraging the audience there. I always wonder, though, doesn't isn't Capital One have enough clout to do these things by themselves? Like other credit card companies, other processors, like that they have the audience. And, and what do you think the benefit? And, and I, I don't know the answer to this, but what do you think the benefit is of Capital One partnering with a smaller company to bring this kind of uh, knowledge? Is this a precursor to an acquisition, do you think? or? I think it often can lead in that direction, but I mean the reality is is that you know when we were at Motive, you know Capital One was the you know the biggest sponsor there, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, they had their guys up there, you know, from their development team, their internal development team, they're funding hackathons, they're looking for technology. So obviously they don't have you know all the expertise they need in house. Um, and so if there's a robust platform like OfferHub uh, from Pushpoint. You know why not go and and do a deal? The other thing is is OfferHub's you know Pushpoint's been around for a long time. This is not a you know you know company that just started up in the last six months. Uh, you know they've been at it for a while. They've got a great customer base. They know what they're doing. You know there's there's a lot of rich feature set into the in in this platform. Um, so so I think you know you know when, rather than going and building a new wheel, you know let's just use you know one of the ones that's there, right? I, you know kind of attitude. And I think this makes sense. You know and this is you know it's mobile, it's SMS, you know it's geofencing, it, it, it's it's got offer management, it's got a lot of stuff built into this, um, you know in, into the single platform. So so I like it. Hey, so do I. I mean I just always wonder these things. Is that this is a perfect example of a company that 
wants to accelerate time to market, obviously, they're going to leverage somebody else's technology and uh, and the knowledge that they have to be able to do these things properly the first time. Because we know that it's so competitive that there may not be a second time, a second opportunity yes. for Capital One. True. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. They, I saw they were everywhere at, at Motive. Everywhere. They were. They were. That's aggressive. All right. So Capital One partnering with Pushpoint Mobile. All right, first three stories down, plus our mobile minute and our product of the week. We're going to jump into our guest right now. Two weeks ago, uh, Asif and I were at Motive East in McLean, Virginia, just out of Washington. If you missed that episode, that was 160 live from the show. And we sat down with Lou Mintzner, who was VP, is VP Product and Development at HomeSnap, a company called HomeSnap at homesnap.com. And their goal is to bring you all the information about the house you were staring at at this very moment, right from the smartphone or from a, uh, a website. And the way they do it is amazing. I had a really great opportunity to sit down. It was my turn to do the interview this time. So it, I did. I sat down with Lou, and here it is live from Motive East. Lou Minzner. And we're back with our interview for this week in location-based marketing. I'm with uh, Lou Minster, who is the, what are you, the uh, VP of product development for HomeSnap. Yep, what is HomeSnap? Uh, so HomeSnap is an app. It's out right now for iPhone, iPad, Android devices, and it does something pretty cool. You just have to take a picture of any house in the United States to find out all about it. It's like it's the best elevator pitch I've ever heard. <laughs> the shortest, maybe. Can you uh, a little bit more detail? So, what what does it do? How does it do that? How does it function? How can I take a picture of something and have all the data come in? So, the real wizard behind the curtain is the custom database that we've built that contains uh, data from a variety of sources, over a hundred different data streams. So. What we're doing is pulling together MLS database records from across the country. We're supplementing that with county tax records, census data, demographic information, geographic hierarchies, property lines, uh, and much more, public school information. And so uh, the phone itself has a lot of sensors in it, right? And that's, the, uh, that's what powers the aha moment. So when somebody goes to take a picture of a house, we've already fired up all the sensors in their mobile phone. GPS, the magnetometer, which is a compass, the accelerometer, the gyroscope, and even the barometer in some Android devices. And so the moment that they take the picture, we capture all that sensor data, and that's where we figure out where the person's standing, which direction they're facing, how the phone is articulated in their hand, and it's by building up that mathematical model that we can interpolate the house that they're seeing in the viewfinder. And is it, does it work on every house? Every house, for sale or You're not. You're going to get some data on every house, right? Yep. Maybe not all the data, but some data on every house. Right. That's true. If the house is for sale, the data is much more rich. You can yeah. see interior photos, pricing history, agent information, and much more. But for any house, you'll see uh, the basic facts, bedrooms, bathrooms, the tax assessment, uh, the property polygon. Uh, the schools, and not just the nearby schools, but the actual school that your child would go to. So we figured out a way to access school attendance zones, and then we built an algorithm to do point and polygon math. Then we crawled through every house in the United States to figure out which school districts that house belongs to. So when you snap a house with HomeSnap, you'll actually see that's the elementary school, my kid would graduate, go to this middle school, graduate, and go to this high school. So your elevator pitch just tells you literally about everything about that house that you could ever imagine would be available to you at that moment. Well, I mean, there's a lot, lot more information that's you know not accessible to yeah. us. Um, but one of the good things about HomeSnap is it's like a positive feedback loop. So the more people take pictures, uh, the more pictures are available. So you know, frequently, um, if you're looking at some random house, you could access the Google Street View. Mm -hmm. But if you tap into HomeSnap, you might be able to see a picture from the winter time that somebody took last year, a picture one day when it was raining, a picture when a renovation was going on, and a picture of the current day. So what, what was the inspiration? Why, why do this? <coughs> there had to be this moment for you where you're looking at a house, you know, maybe, I don't know, you wanted some information on it. Like, what made you build this? So before we even launched the app, we had a real estate website. And one of the things that we discovered was Google was sending us a lot of traffic for people doing address keyword searches. So people were searching for a specific address. Um, and thinking about it, that meant people were in the real world, they saw a house that they liked, they wrote down the address, they went home, they got in their computer, they punched in Google, and that's how they found HomeSnap. 
And so we tried to figure out a way to improve that workflow. And at the time, you know, we were obsessed with Shazam, right? The music mm-hmm. identification app. Mm-hmm. We are like, is that really possible to do with houses? Could we boil Shazam it down to a, yeah. a single tap operation? And so that was the, you know, cathartic moment. And so over time, we've added, you know, more product features and more data sources. But it's still that, like, fundamental workaround of getting information while you're standing on the sidewalk in real time that gets people to hear about the app, you know, make a habit out of using the app and tell their friends about the app. Why would they use it? So they're either moving into a neighborhood, they're interested in what their value of their neighbor's house is. What are some of the use cases for this? Well, there's many, many Stalking. more use cases than uh, than we initially anticipated. Uh, you know, What's the I, weirdest one? Uh, you know, one of, one of the most interesting ones is uh, landscape architects frequently use it to uh, just survey uh, hmm. neighborhoods to figure out um, what land belongs to which property owner and uh, how much the house is worth. And they'll use that to figure out uh, where it makes sense to deploy their sales resources. So that was a, a use case that we didn't anticipate you know, at all. But, but one of the things we did try to do was keep the product general enough to appeal to a broad swath of consumers. Right. Because at any one given time, there's only like three or four percent of the adult population is actually in the market to right. buy a house. Yeah. And so, you know, to make an app that's going to be able to be ranked in the app store and be able to harness the power of word of mouth, we had to make it so, you know, anybody would be interested, even somebody that's like hanging out in the boat and there's a cool house on the shore and they ask the age-old question like, oh, I wonder how much that house costs, or you're in the Hamptons for the weekend and you're, you know, see all these awesome houses and you're like, I wonder how much that house costs. Yes, I'm often there. Um, but what about, uh, you know, so uh, like I think about it from other business standpoints, right? So like roofers, right? So they might look at the average age of a house and try to understand what neighborhood that they should be attacking for, uh, for you know, for, for their work. Uh, do you kind of see those kind of scenarios panning out as well? Um, you know, roofers in particular doesn't resonate, but I'm, I'm sure there's been yeah, a roofer know. that's used the app. Um, you know, one of the, one of the segments that, where there is a lot of power users is hedge funds who are snapping up a lot of uh, distressed residential real estate. Uh. And uh, there's, so there's a lot of social features built into HomeSnap. There's basically like a, a news feed. Yep. You know, you can think about like the Instagram news feed. So when you make connections inside of the app, every time you snap a house or favorite a snap or write a comment on a snap or recommend a snap to somebody else, that goes into your news feed. And so everybody in your network can see that. So it turns out to be really useful for teams of people that are out scouting a neighborhood. You know, we built that feature so that a husband and wife could keep in touch with each other. Yeah. But it turns out there's a lot more use cases than that. What about uh, when you when you look at this? What about uh, privacy? This is all publicly available data, but it's all data that's available in disparate sources. Do you worry about privacy backlash? Uh, so yeah, we don't associate any personal information. No. Uh, you know, but if I see house. you, if I see you walking into the house, right? There's an association I could walk by. I see the person walking into the house. There's kind of that association by, by a visual association that they live in that house. And like, there's this house that I always drive by when I go to work, and I love it. It's a beautiful house. It's right on the river, and and I've always wanted. I'm like, I gotta know who. Li-. Same thing. Like, I'm, it's far out of my bracket. But I see the people walking into the house, mm-hmm. and you know I, I become—I I recognize them now, and now I can go and use your, your application to find out how much they pay for their house. Yes, you can. Ah, I'm going for you. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll see the uh, the photos that were used uh, the last time that the house was sold. Yeah. If it's within two years, that's when we can show you, well. show you the pictures. So, uh, a lot of the data in HomeSnap <clears throat> is publicly available. Yeah. But there's other data that is not publicly available and so when you download HomeSnap one of the things that you have to do is create an account Uh, and we need you to create an account because we're operating as a real estate brokerage and that's how we can show you all the sold information so sold prices contract prices price cut history days on market it's very smart and then uh, do you aggregate this data the houses that people are looking at from an anonymous standpoint and do you do any kind of data analysis on uh, you know broader you know, neighborhood or citywide data analysis? Uh, we do. I mean, we're a big data play, yeah. like, at heart, really. So we've pulled together all this information, and uh, it is a, a treasure trove. And so one of the challenges is figuring out how to surface the value in that data. So we've done a bunch of different experiments. One of the things uh, you can check out on the web 
is uh, we do these weekly automated news reports mm -hmm. for every zip code, neighborhood, city, and county in, in, uh, in most of the United States, about 50%. And so uh, we partner with another company to do natural language processing, but kind of in reverse. So we're not listening to language and turning it into words. We're taking raw statistics and then turning that into a story. And so uh, it's interesting because it wouldn't be uh, financially or economically feasible to hire journalists to write nope. a news story about, you know, 22192, a zip code yep. with 300 houses inside of it. But because we're doing it in an automated fashion, you know, it spits out a 100-word synopsis on a weekly basis. And if you want to keep tabs on that zip code, it's a pretty easy way to just, you know, read through it and uh, get a quick understanding. Very, very cool. We send people to homesnap.com. Homesnap.com. Lou, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, what a great guy. You know, we, we talked about it at the show about, you know, how many smart people were there. And um, the, uh, you know, for me, the home snap thing is, uh, you know, I can't wait till we have something like that in Canada. I mean, yeah. the simplicity of just so holding true. it on and purely based on image recognition data, nothing else. You know, it's able to then go and, and, and connect to all these other, you know, databases, rich in information related to that uh, house and, and return it all in a useful way. So, you know, really, really cool. I was uh, super impressed. And, and the more people that I talked to while walking around the show, and I would say, have you heard of HomeSnap? And they're, oh, yeah, I love that app. I love that app. And yeah. So uh, people are using it. Now I want to use it up here just to spy on my neighbors. Exactly. Yeah. I wonder if you could hold it up and you could, like, like look at that house and it can say... Yeah, you know, don't do that because you know it's prone to power outages or like <laughs> that. That area, you know, is uh, you know the data says there's a power outage, you know, at least once every twelve months. Yeah, yeah. you know, then uh, you got to move closer into the city, into the core, because the core of Toronto is still operated, full on power, whatever it might be. But uh, some of it, some, some of it. a lot of it's not. Wow, Brutal. it's crazy. It's, like a lot of those, like the thing is, is like the power. I mean, you know, we shouldn't be talking about the power here, but but it, but it, it's um, it, it's ridiculous. I mean, like this this ice storm, you know, like there was like I think within the greater Toronto area, like about a half million houses without yeah. power, and yeah. like something like that. And then like there's still now like like these trees are frozen, like just frozen and coated in ice. And now the wind's picking up; it's getting colder. You're gonna have even more branches falling, more power lines going down. So we're not out of the you know out of it yet. Like there could be a lot more people losing power still. We had we had one of these. They call it the Great Ice Storm of 1998 here in Ottawa. And so it happened. And I mean, I was in the lived uh, core center Ottawa, um, and we we had, we lost power for maybe an hour, and it was a bummer, right? Uh, some of the houses on the fringe of downtown lost power for a day or two like you guys did. There were farms and there were other houses on the outskirts of the city that lost power for 15 or 20 days. Yeah. Like they couldn't get power because all the power lines sagged and snapped or broke because of trees branching and tree branches uh, falling. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, this crazy, is like a, crazy, crazy. But I'm sure that HomeSnap could could have that data somewhere. Yeah. So so maybe maybe a good segue. Uh, you know, we, we didn't plan on talking about this, but, you know, we didn't plan on having a power outage for <laughs> uh, for 50 hours either uh, on my side. But, you know, I came across this company once I got back online here uh, this morning and I was looking, you know, through my notes and whatever else. I came across this company called Smart Charge. Uh, this is a Kickstarter-funded project. I'm now going to be an investor uh, in because, uh, <laughs> of what I just went through. But basically, these guys have come up with a light bulb that uh, it's an LED light bulb. I mean, you know how everybody's pushing for LED light bulbs these days. But basically, in behind the light bulb, there's there's a battery uh, thing, and so you basically put batteries in this thing, and it still works with the same switch that the that this this light is on. Uh, but basically, when the power goes out, you have light. Love it. Love it. Right, I mean, it's just—it's simple but cool. And Does it so they last do, fifty uh, hours? I think they only need six six thousand bucks left. They're trying to raise fifty grand, and they're they're down to the last six thousand. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, forty thousand hours, twenty five years uh, lifespan on this thing. And I wonder how long it would last per charge, but it would give uh, you at least uh, something. So it's a lithium ion battery. Uh, you got to replace it every four years or so. It wow. says. Fun these yeah, guys. Anyhow. How many days do they left? They have lots of days left, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, there's a few days left. All right. So anyhow, take a look at that. If if you're prone to power outages, like apparently I am. Um, I wasn't, but um, move yeah. or get these things. This is Smart the cheaper alternative. Kickstarter.
Take a look. What was the name of it? Smart Charge? Smart Charge. Yeah, on Kickstarter. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Good anyway, segue. Back, back to the show. All right. Now we're moving into our uh, fourth story. I downloaded this new version. I still don't get it. I still don't want to use it. Uh, it's still past its prime, I think. But yeah. they managed to raise some money. We're talking about Highlight. They had their day. So we're talking about Highlight. And this is H-I-G-E-R-G-H-L-I-G-H-T. Yes. So... Highlight, uh, you know, this was launched originally back in 2012 uh, around, you know, South by, I believe, along with, you know, Glancy and Sonar and a whole slew of other things that all came out around that same time. Uh, and they had a really crazy logo, if you remember this thing. It was like in Still 3D the same. with all yeah, these terrible. colors. And you would look at it and your eyes would go all wacky and, and it was terrible. It was terrible. Anyhow, um, you know, they're, uh, you know, the other guys kind of all disappeared. So they're still around. I thought they were dead. They're still around. Uh, they raised four million bucks this week uh, from uh, Draper uh, Fisherson uh, Jervitson. Sorry, Draper Fisher Jervitson <laughs> DFJ. I just call him DFJ. It's easier. Yes. Um, led led this round four million bucks. Um, and there's a few others, Benchmark and Crunch Crunch Fund, and a few others involved in this thing. Uh, but you know, not just the funding. They've launched a new version. Rob just showed it there. Uh, their V two O, better logo doesn't doesn't mess up your eyes as much. Uh, they've added Bubba Maraca, uh, who's uh, from uh, DFJ, uh, yes. to their uh, to their board. Um, so I guess that's good for them, uh, or at least good for DFJ to watch their money uh, to see where that goes. Um, but uh, you know. I'm like you. I never got excited about this thing the first time. I don't think I'm going to be excited about it the second time. Um, you know, it's got some new features uh, in, in in how they track the movements of of your friends and people around you. Um, yeah, differentiates between it's biking. It's got a cool little mapping thing, yeah. right? It's got this mapping feature where you can plot the connections nearby uh, of your friends and, and see how they're moving. So it's got a directional thing. Like you can track sort of the real-time movements of people that you care about uh, so, you know, on a map. So that's, you know, whatever. Um, but it, you know, it, it, it distinguishes between biking, walking, and traveling in a car. So yes. it's not so that the, people... Yeah, it's tracking speed. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so I guess that's, you know, whatever. That's kind of interesting, but, you know, still not going to get me to use it. So, uh, no. And then, so I've downloaded it. I still don't understand it. Uh, you, you know, um, serendipity happens and context happens. And just because somebody I know who's associated with me on Twitter walks by doesn't mean that I give a shit that I should ever reach out to them. Doesn't, doesn't often. There's, there's not an instance that I've found that I would actually use this software. And that, that's just me. Um, I've launched it twice. And it's telling me that it's minus 16 outside. So they've added a little bit of core functionality, new functionality to this, but it's not enough. And and yeah. so this Bubba Maraca guy, they you know uh, I read an article about uh, him, and he um, it's notable. Uh, this is a quote. It's notable in part because this is the first investment for Maraca, who was head of Facebook's Android team and led the development of Facebook Home. So, and then they follow it by saying, so he knows a thing or two about mobile. Bullshit. Like. Facebook Home? That was a piece yeah. of junk software. Yeah, who, who uses that? Nobody. No, they were trying. I don't to, know. I don't know anybody who uses Facebook Home. But they were trying to obfuscate or circumvent Android as an operating system, yeah. and they built this home piece of crap software. And this is the guy who they're bringing on as the savior of Highlight. Well, yeah. where did Home go? It was it was yeah. rated the I mean, number one this disaster. Other, this other piece on Highlight that I that I was looking at, and it's going like so. It can also show you what music, music. your friends are listening to. Like on, you know, through Spotify or RDO. I mean, like... But it already does that. If I'm connected with them on Spotify or RDO, they already so know So why that. do I need you to do that? Know. Like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, so it looks like they're just Four trying to grasp bucks. at, you know, pulling a bunch of things together, uh, you know, and it's, and it's, you know, if that's the direction they're going, it's the same old argument that we have all the time on the show is, is, you know, whose data, you know, are, 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 you know, what's your value here? You're yeah. just pulling in everybody else's data. It, it, this is this is like I I didn't get it the first time I don't get it now I, it's one of these applications that is uh, is nifty if not creepy but yeah. I, I just don't understand and they said that they spent a lot of time working on the back in the background stuff about reducing power and battery consumption uh, so they made it five times more energy efficient which means that it's less than one percent of battery per hour that it consumes because it resides in the background yeah but I like why and somebody out there please 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 somebody out there tell me why just give me one example of why I would use it don't use an event don't use a trade show because those are so unique those are corner cases why would the average human use this why yeah. 
I don't know. For uh, highlight two point for me, it's low light. Low light. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's a low light. It's man. like power outage. Two point yeah, It's right? like power outage right here. There's no highlight yeah. here, and the fact that this guy there, you know, focusing on the guy, this guy's like the savior because Rob, he did. Yeah. Th this is such a low light for me. You know, the like the most useful thing for me over the last forty eight hours, right here. The flashlight app, <laughs> right here. This is how I got around my house, people. Flashlight app. Utility. Utility. It's so good. Not <laughs> highlight, flashlight. That's it. Exactly. They should have made a flashlight. They should have put a flashlight in it and, and uh, might have used it. Uh, so, well, I mean, if you're still interested in this in this product, you know, uh, I don't know why it would be. Highlight, H-I-G-H-L-I-G-H-T. Highlight. All right. Yeah. Number yeah. five. All right, so, uh, you know, from one odd thing to another. Uh, so this is a product uh, called Mother, right, by Sense. Yes. yes. That's S-E-N dot S-E. And this, this is just basically a whole bunch of stickers. Uh, they're basic, it, It's actually well done. This is a very well-designed product. You've got a central hub that you plug into your network, you plug into the wall, and it's basically, I, I think it's low-energy Bluetooth. And it is basically a bunch of sensors that you can attach onto anything. Your toothbrush, there's some great examples on the website that you'll see in the background as I'm talking. Uh, so your toothbrush, and then you're talking about, you know, or the door, or Billy's knapsack, or anything like that, that can trigger things. So motion, it can actually track how many times you've brushed your teeth as a result, and it's got this beautiful dashboard of the things that you want to track. And I think that this is a very, very, very slick marketing plan. I, I love this kind of kind of hey listen this is a mother mother knows everything like we always mm -hmm. say that they, she has eyes in the back of her head right because she knows exactly what you're doing well now there's a whole bunch of sensors that enable this so she can see the dashboard to make sure that you're brushing your teeth long enough or doing the dishes or you came home at the time you said you you came home and i think that this from a marketing standpoint I, I love this whole brand. I love Mother yep. by Sense. I love the way that they've personalized it. I love the way that they've gone after a target niche market to be able to do this. Uh, it's not, not new, but the marketing is amazing. The marketing is, is awesome. I mean, the aesthetic of, of how it's they beautiful. present this thing is just unbelievable. Um, you know, we know this is a, uh, a hot field right now, this whole idea of, you know, sort of tracking, you know, movement and proximity and all these things through these types of sticker. So, I mean, for me, this is just a... You know, a, a very, very well presented version of, you know, an estimate or, yep. or something like that, um, you know, from a marketing perspective. And uh, we're going to see more more of these guys. We're going to see, uh, you know, just lots of new ways to, to do this. But at the end of the day, what I like about this most is the fact that I think, you know, they understand that the real value is in the data, the dashboard, the software, and not the, you know, the actual, you know, how we present the, uh, the sticker. No. Well, I, you know, the color, the, the way that they've used color, the way that they've used everything around this is yep. stellar. And, you know, no, no offense to Estimote, but Mother has this absolute vision now of what, what this product will do and could do. Estimote yep. doesn't mean anything to me, right? Mother... By sense, like you get that, you get that feeling around this. Yeah. Put little eyes on the device, and and the way that they use used color is, is yeah. incredible. And, and you know, and, and it's the difference between uh, this is obviously driven by marketers, yes. right? Yep. Not you know technology, not geeks, right? Um, They're uh, not where, gray. You know, Estimo, yeah. you know, pioneered you know this technology, yep. got it out there, made everybody aware of what's possible. The next version of Estimo, from what I have seen and heard from talking to them, is going to be unbelievable from a technology perspective. Uh, yet again, you know, it, but it's that balance between you know great technology and great marketing, and 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 the marriage in the middle, right, between those things, right, and that's that's kind of what I see here. I think uh, you are you are right on there. Uh, from a marketing standpoint, this is just incredible. This is available. You can go to um, Sense S E N dot S E. It's the product is Mother. I think what I'm gathering here, it's about two hundred and twenty bucks, two hundred twenty-two dollars for the starter kit. And you know, it's just the marketing is smooth and slick and well yeah. thought out. So you know, and, and and you know, Rob and I love this kind of stuff. We're all yes. about the marketing. We're all about the data, and 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 your your whole dashboard's awesome. So you know, you know, if anyone from Mother's listening to this, uh, or from Sense, I should say, is listening to this, you know, you know, we we'd be happy to kind of you know try it out and and show this stuff on the show. So feel free to reach out to us and uh, you know uh, let us know if, if you're interested in that. Uh, sense S E N dot S C if you're interested in that kind of stuff. Mother okay. Sense. All right, our sixth story goes to uh, to Apple. 
uh, and they filed some uh, interesting patents uh, in a in a in a space that I, I had no idea that they were even uh, looking at. Uh, so it blew me away when I when I saw this. Uh, so this is all about restaurant ordering and reservations. So they're going after the open tables of the world, uh, and and even you know you know trying to just make the restaurant experience better for people. So. If you think about what they already do with Passbook and you think about what they're doing with iBeacons and you think about all that stuff we've talked about, now think about Apple going into the restaurant world uh, with their own reservation system, their own ordering system. Uh, and one of the key things to this is, you know, sort of wait list management. Uh, is, is, is more As I read through this patent, this is the one thing that kind of jumped out at me. So we've all had that experience where we go to the restaurant and, you know, you got to wait. And so they take your name down and they give you the little thing, you know, that you, you carry around. And then when there's when your seat opens up, it buzzes and, you know, you, you go to the thing and say, hey, you know, here's, here's my blinking buzzing thing. You know, I'm ready for that. So basically Apple's saying, no, you don't need that anymore. We can do all that with your phone, yeah. uh, and, and we can we can automate that process. Um, and so, if you've got an iPhone, your iPhone is now your buzzer. So we can tell you when your seat's ready. But not only that, if you're looking to make a reservation at, at a restaurant, we can help suggest restaurants based on what we already know about the wait times uh, and all that kind of stuff, all in real time data, and bringing that all together. Open Table does not doing that. Nobody's doing that yet. Groupon's not doing that. Nobody's doing that. So. This is pretty crazy stuff, uh, and I think you know we don't know. Obviously, we don't know if this is going to be a, a commercially you know uh, deployed solution yet. We know this is a patent that's been filed, but I think this is pretty cool. Yeah, and as you saw in the mobile minute with Chuck earlier on, is that uh, Applebee's is doing this right? So they're doing at the table. They they want to not do away with the servers, but they want you to be able to order from the table through a tablet, and and this is enabling that. And and one of the big things, who knows. I mean, you know, a lot of these patents, Apple files patents, like IBM back in the day files, yep. you, know, you know, still files hundreds of patents a year. Uh, and they're a very innovative company. And Apple has to do the same thing. It's This is the battle of patents. And so who knows if they do anything with this. But I can see a day where you've got iBeacon, the uh, um, tablet as the uh, reservation system at the front desk. You've got uh, the ability to push to iPhones, obviously, uh, any iOS device to let you know when your wait is, your wait is over. Um, and then what about this closed payment system called iTunes, where your credit card is on file and the ability yep. to actually, with low energy Bluetooth, just walk out, have your uh, your check automatically debited from all your done. account, all done without actually like, having like, to interface. Just like Tabbed Out did, right? Absolutely. You know, same thing. But all integrated, all tied together. I, I think this is really cool. If, if they actually pull this this off in a commercial way, I think this is... You know, really interesting. I mean, I, I personally would would use it. Would would, would use something like this. Well, uh, credit card on file already through uh, through iTunes. Love uh, it. You know, one of the big things here is that there's a lot of criticism about. Uh, there, I've read some criticism around this about you know the fact that they're so scattered. But this really does reinforce this device and iBeacon as the center, the tenant, right uh, of of your digital life. And then payments to me is just an add-on. It's the it, end. It's game. interesting, right? Because. People, you know, people are knocking Apple these days, right? You know, yeah. ever since Steve Steve Jobs exited, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, they're like, well, you know, there, there's no new product, there's no new, you know, Not what's going to be the next iPad, this, that. You know what? It's called iBeacon, people. Yeah. And there's an entire ecosystem that's being built around that, that the average consumer doesn't necessarily see, but... You know, it's all about you know the you know the small medium business you know market you know powered by iBeacon that's tying into everybody's existing phones that are already out there. That's going to enable a whole bunch of stuff, and Apple will make a whole lot more money. Let alone the fact that they just signed a deal in China, you know, to open up that market to the iPhone. Uh, you know, it's going to be crazy. But uh, anyhow, um, this is huge, and it just shows you what this kind of audience, or the, you know, this kind of innovation around the audience that they already have carrying these devices can do. And then you hear about BlackBerry's disastrous quarter, four point four billion dollar loss in one quarter. Yeah. I thought like you had to be a monstrous company to lose that much money. Like that's a lot of money to lose in that's a quarter. A lot of money. So you just like you know, for those who think that you can't innovate with an audience, you, like these guys are these guys are looking at it. Who knows what happens? But they know that this is just a natural extension to the way that we use these devices. Indeed. Very cool. All right. So uh, from, <laughs> from, from, <laughs> from, from the logical of, you know, getting reservations and ordering your food and paying for it. Uh, now, how about would you, would you ever accept a hamburger that has been sent to you through a pneumatic tube going 140 miles an hour? <laughs> 
that this is cool c1 espresso out of new zealand basically yeah. wants to send your burgers and your food to your table in pneumatic tubes like they encase it into a uh, into a nice little container and they shoot it up through a pneumatic tube you see these at costco or price club you know all the time uh, for receipts and cash and it just shoots through all these tubes in the ceilings they want to do that with your food i think this man you put this together with what we learned about uh, Applebee's about ordering on, you know, from a tablet and then arriving in a pneumatic tube, and you're that is the automated restaurant. We're almost to back to the future. It, it really is. I mean, um, you know, let alone the novelty of going to a restaurant where, you know, I mean, what kid's not going to want to see, you know, tubes all over the place and and stuff flying through them, and then it shows Weekend. up at your table and your burger's ready to go. I mean. You know, this is like, I mean, McDonald's should be doing this kind of stuff. Like this is, you know, like anyhow. McDonald's should be doing um, this to your house, like home delivery through pneumatic tubes. I mean, I was I was in a place, um, you know, it's not in a totally different thing. I was I was in one of the old buildings that had the, uh, you know, the, the, the old sort of, um, well, even my parents' building has, you know, the, uh, you, you know, the chutes for, for putting your um, garbage and laundry your garbage down, you yeah. know, from, you know, from the top, you know, you know, drops down, you know, the laundry chutes, the old yeah. bellwaiters and oh, yeah. these old buildings for bringing food up. I mean, that stuff is just cool, right? Like, it's just neat, It's cool right? now. Um, you know, so sometimes we don't need, you know, technology, you know, new technology. We just need old technology and we need to do it in cool ways. And the, uh, I was reading this story about this, you know, about C1 Espresso here. And they said that they were inspired by the movie Futurama. So they were watching Futurama, and they saw this, and they said, "We need to do this in our restaurant." Uh, and, and that that was the inspiration. And they've built like they've got their own custom braking system to slow the thing down, so it arrives safely on your table, and all this kind of stuff that they built around this. So this it's pretty interesting. It doesn't hit terminal velocity and and uh, smash against the end. This yeah. is good because you know getting hit by something going that fast will will hurt. Yes, it will hurt a lot. I just wonder how they bring the shakes down, right? Yeah. So, so well, apparently it's ju it's just sliders and nachos, yeah, so things that can they, fit. Yeah, things that can fit in this thing. So they built their own custom size tube and all that kind of stuff. Can you imagine so, that? Yeah, hey, uh, see, if it's your turn to clean the tubes, like oh, yeah, that'd be terrible. But this Ooh. this is cool. This is a novelty, obviously, and it, and it's just yeah. sim simple simple technology. Uh, no mobile stuff, no location stuff. Just hey, burger up, boom, up through a pneumatic tube. There you go. God, love it. Love it. All right. Seven stories nailed. Our resource coming up, but we've also done our guest of the week, which was Lou Minzner. Uh, we appreciate him coming on. He's from Home Snap. We had our mobile minute with Chuck, and of course, we had our product of the week. Now, listen to this. Hey, did you know, Asif, that uh, Twitter has had an impact on freaking all media, but but really, radio has been impacted by by Twitter. Did you know uh, that? Yeah, I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know to this extent. Um, but the real—I mean, it's interesting. The the preamble on this on this infographic is really interesting. So this is an infographic from Brandwatch um, that's uh, called "Dual Senses: Listening to the Impact of Twitter Upon the Radio Sector in the UK." Uh, and it's got some interesting numbers in here: uh, fourteen thousand radio channels in the UK and the US. Uh, less than three months, uh, Brits tweeted about radio four hundred thousand times on Twitter. So. I mean, basically, they're trying to say, you know, you know, as as new technologies come out, like Twitter has, you know, has has come come into the world. It doesn't mean that old media disappears. And you know, we talk about that every day on this week in location-based marketing. In fact, you know, we talk, you know, the whole definition the LVMA has for location-based marketing is the intersection of people, places, and media, and how, you know, wherever you are, what media happens to be there. If you're in your car, it might be radio. If you're in your living room, it might be TV. We talk about that every day. But what we talk about is, is you know, the relevance of location to that media, um, and Twitter is just another example of that. Uh, and 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 obviously, it has an impact on radio. Yes, I mean, I heard something on radio, I tweeted it out, right? I mean, I can show you, you know, I could, I can't pull it up right now, but I mean, if I were to just show you my my tweet deck columns for uh, discussion on, you know, the the ice storm and, and the power outage over the last, you know, three days. And you look at all that traffic, and you look at the number of references to "I heard this on the radio," right? Or you know, you know, the the press conference was just live on the radio, and the mayor, yes, the mayor of Toronto, <laughs> Rob Ford, he's back again. But you know what? Doing an amazing job right now. What a distraction, Doing an though. Job right now. Um, you know, he just said this at the press conference. You know, live on radio. Um, 
you know, all that kind of stuff is getting tweeted about. Of course it is, yeah. right? Because, you know, Twitter is just now this, this, this platform for, for sharing knowledge and getting it out quickly to as many people as possible. You know, and some of the stats are, are amazing. Like, you know, I think that uh, radio, for being the, the oldest medium, right, uh, just voice, it, it is a laggard when it comes to leveraging the social sphere. They don't get it. And that's why I have guys like Patrick Reynolds from Triton on to talk about what companies, what radio stations, yep. terrestrial radio stations are doing in the digital world to be able to bridge that gap between, you know, Everything is so close but so far away. You're sitting yep. in your car and the radio is playing and it's right there and you hear it in your ears but you're not able to interact with it. And although they say that, you know, the number one spot where people tweet about radio stations is from the car, which you should not be doing unless you are in the passenger no. seat. But, you know, I just think that there is so much more that these radio stations could be doing in order to be able to engage. And it's very clear, you know, the disparity, the, the, the gap between, say, something like hashtag usage. And if you don't understand what a hashtag is, go, you know, Social Media 101. But TV dwarfs radio, 83 to 15%, but stations that interact with fans, television is 52% of the stations, which is crazy that the other 48% aren't doing it, but radio stations, 25%. I think the most active here in North America, especially in Canada because of hockey, the most active uh, time for interaction is during a hockey game or during a broadcast of some sort, sports related, because it really, they really get it. They understand that dialogue is so important. Talk just, radio don't, gets it. just don't watch those Ottawa Senators. They're terrible. What do you mean? Five nothing win over Pittsburgh last night. Yeah, you, you had no power, so you didn't see that game. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but, 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 but honestly, I mean, the interesting thing for me, you know, just referencing the last 50 hours of no power is yes. when you, when you have radio no power, is powerful. You have no internet. And you know, cell service was spotty at best. It was up. It was down. It was. You. It was like. I mean, you know, Rogers and all the carriers here have been having trouble because you know they've got you know trees dropping on on their on their lines and other things too. Um, but you know, what always works is radio. I mean, like I listen to more radio in the last fifty hours than I've listened to you know probably in the last month. Yes. Um, and it's all about you know you know just tuning in and listening to you know when's the power coming back on and what's the latest update on on you know work crews out trying to fix lines and all of that and radio is just there you just turn the thing on as long as you got a battery in the radio it's good right um, and you can go out to your car for warmth and listen to it exactly and charge your phone yes <laughs> That's and, and and yes Rob did ask me if I would be willing to do the podcast from right. my car I thought about it. Yeah, I, you know, and I thought about it, but I just didn't think I'd have uh, sustained bandwidth enough to pull that offer up. I saw Amber Mack in the side of the road, I think on the way to Halifax, pull over and do a uh, social hour uh, on uh, twit.tv uh, from her car. She was not afraid to do it. I, yeah. I don't want to call you out or anything, I see, but... Uh, uh, you, you know, yeah. You know, I no, think that we got... just a better person than me. Amber. I love her. Yeah. I love Amber. So uh, this is this is an interesting thing. But if you are interested in a little bit more information, I just recently, if you're listening to this when it's relatively fresh, I, I posted a, uh, I did an interview with Patrick Reynolds. It's the third time he's been on. He's from Triton Digital. And we talk about this kind of stuff, about the impact that social and mobile are having on the radio world. And it is monumental. And, uh, you know, you're starting to see these big uh, companies in the States, like Clear Channel, start, starting to get less punitive and less... Um, you know, a volatile around the digital radio station yep. counterparts and, and actually understand the impact that it's having and realize that if they want to play in the space that they can't ask for huge money from the digital radio stations because then it's punitive to them as well. So really interesting stuff going on in that space. And Patrick Reynolds is my guy to go to once a year. I get an update on it. And there's the last three years we've sat down. So you can check him out on untether.tv. Great resource, Asif. We could talk about that kind of stuff forever. Excellent. Speaking about forever, like the length of the show. Um... <laughs> Next week, we have our special, special, special uh, look back, look ahead. I cannot guarantee that that will be anything less than an hour. It'll probably be two or three hours long because it was such a crazy year. And predictions galore. And I bet you the stuff that we've talked about today will get in there. I think about media. I think about things yep. like, what you know, I was making notes along here. That blending of offline and online with Borderlands, the game Borderlands 2. Uh, and I think that we're going to start to see much more of this kind of stuff around what Apple is doing with iBeacon and what the implication of their watch or any other low energy Bluetooth device that are coming out. <laughs> Stick around. Stay tuned for that show, which will be out uh, next Monday from this. Yes. Uh, I think that's probably around the new year. Uh, you know, just and, and, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, 
Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays oh, yeah, that and stuff. all that to to folks, you know. And uh, you know, Rob, you're you're framed so nicely right now in the background there. On on the one side, you got Santa on your shoulder, yeah, and the other, you got Springsteen on your shoulder. And you know, it's, tell it's, the story about perfect. those. Yeah. I'll, I'll grab them. You tell. This was a, a, a gift <laughs> from the sea. You know, some people this time of year, you know, they just have a the angel sitting over their shoulder. But you know, it's I've said this and is Bruce. your angel, right? Well, this is uh, yeah. This uh, Steve gave these to me. Uh, there's another one back there. You see it. Um, while we were in Modav in, in Washington. Uh, this is a hand-drawn, beautiful, beautiful uh, rendition of Bruce Springsteen. I cannot believe you got these done. Uh, amazed by this. And uh, do you want to tell them who did this? Uh, yeah, so this this is uh, Janet uh, uh, Hawkins, who's who's been a guest on the show from uh, Opteris uh, that Rob interviewed a while back. Uh, uh, also does some some painting and uh, did these uh, for for me. Uh, uh, you know, Rob, we talk about Springsteen all the time on the show. So uh, every show, she uh, she paints a lot of uh, rock artists, and uh, I, I I put in a request for these for Rob. So uh, so there you go. What a guy! Merry Christmas. Every show we talk about Bruce Springsteen. One day we'll get him on here. No, eh? No. Come on, Bruce. Not likely. Not likely. Oh, well, I appreciate it. They will stay there forever. Santa, <laughs> okay. Santa will not. They will. I love it. Yes. There you go. Thanks Bruce Springsteen's year-round. Santa's just, you know, a couple weeks. Yeah, exactly. He's yeah. only like, he's a day. The guy's a day. He's, he's a overrated day. for a day, right? A day. All right. Okay. Well, let's end this because we'll be back. We're just going to flip into our, our next show soon anyway. So, um but listen, for those of you who uh, this you're going to get this on uh, Boxing Day, you're listening to this on Boxing Day or post. I really hope you had a merry, merry, merry Christmas. You got to spend a lot of time with your friends, a lot of time with your family. You ate a whole lot of stuff, a lot of turkey, a lot of meat pie. If you're up here in Canada, or even down there, tortier. Um, but please, please uh, let us know how we did this year. It is very important that we get the feedback from you guys who are listening to this. We get some amazing feedback. A great comment. I, I'll get his name for the next one who said, hey, listen, I love the podcast, but your introduction is so overproduced. You know, it takes away from the show. And if I say if that's the only complaint that you have, we're doing a fine job. So if you've got there some you comments go. or suggestions, please reach out. You can always Review us on iTunes, which would be really appreciated wherever you find this podcast. It doesn't have to be iTunes. If you ever want to ask us a question or make a comment to us that we'll play on air, reach out to untether.tv slash talk, and uh, you can just leave a 30-second voicemail there, and we will play it here. We'll answer any questions that you do have. But from me to you, thank you so much for being a part of this this year. We really, really appreciate it, and I hope you have a great, great, great Christmas. Asif, anything else to say? That's it. Uh, happy holidays to everyone. Looking forward to uh, to the prediction show and uh, to catching up with everybody uh, in, in the new year. So uh, gr great to do this with you, Rob, as always. And uh, It's been a blast. Merry Christmas. All right. Merry Christmas, everybody. We'll see you soon.